Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Oh, hey, Isa, come in. Come in. I was just clipping my nails before we taped the episode. Um, that's okay. <laughs> What's that smell? Oh, I see you met Alexander, my pet skunk. Hi, Alexander. I had to bring him into the studio today because I had two sitters cancel. It's the strangest thing. Each of them came to the door, saw my beautiful little boy, and then suddenly remembered they had other plans. Weird. A good skunk sitter is so hard to find these days. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, hey, I stopped by the soup shack on the way here and picked us up a couple bowls of my favorite cow tongue soup. Here you go. Oh, um, you know what? I ate just before we got here. Um, darn it. Oh, no, that's too bad. Well, do you at least have room for a couple of these buttery, garlicky escargot? Snails? I'm good. Cricket chips? Um, isn't the show starting soon? Oh, yeah. I almost forgot. listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and with me today is Isa Camargo from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Isa. Hello, Molly. Fair warning. Today, we're going to get gross. We're talking sounds and smells and tastes and things that you might touch that some people consider gross. Isa, are there any foods or smells or anything in particular that really gross you out? Well, there is this one food that really grosses me out. Sorry to all you cheese lovers out there, but I really do not like cheese. Any cheese? Mm, any cheese at all. I just do not like it. What about cheese grosses you out? Um, The smell is just really stinky, and the taste just makes me want to gag. Well, is there, <laughs> is there ever a time in your life where you ate cheese, or has this been like your whole life, no cheese? Um, I tried cheese when I was really little, and I was just like, Mm-mm, nope, nope, I don't like this at not, all. Nope. Not for you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so would you say that gross things have a color? Actually, I think they do. I think that green is the color of gross because in cartoons when people burp or fart or cough, um, the gas is green, or if people throw up, then the uh, puke is green in cartoons, and even... In the movie Inside Out, the emotion disgust is green. Very good point. Isa, what sound do you make when you see a really disgusting, vile thing? Okay, there are two noises that I most commonly commonly do when somebody says something like really disgusting and they show me something disgusting. So I'll either turn away and... I will say in a really loud, high-pitched voice, Ew! (laughs) Or, my most common one, I will turn around, bend on the ground, and go, (laughs) 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 
those are really good sounds. They really get the point across. I think my my most common gross song is blah. It's not quite as good as going on the ground and having a physical reaction. I'm going to work on that. Well, Isa, it is time to keep that gross out sound handy because you're going to need it because we're going to get squishy, squeaky, slurpy, stinky, and sour. Gross. So what makes us hold our noses, plug our ears, or make a face about something gross in the first place? Here to help us unpack all things gross is Rachel Hertz. She's a neuroscientist and a professor at Brown University and thinks about gross stuff all the time. Professionally, of course, but probably for fun, too. She even wrote a book called That's Disgusting. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Isa. What sound do you make when you see the grossest thing ever? Ew. (laughs) That is exactly what I do. (laughs) Or I'll go, (laughs) Or sometimes I go, ah! That's what I do too sometimes. (laughs) My little brother, Donovan, actually had a question that he wanted to ask you. He said, why is ill the most common noise that we make when we see something disgusting? Well, Donovan has a fantastic question, and that goes back to the whole idea about what disgust is about. It's about preventing something bad on the outside from getting into our insides. And the easiest way something can get into our insides is through our mouth. And when we make the noise, ooh, it's like if you can feel your mouth while you're doing it or look in the mirror, you see that it's basically like pushing something out, closing your mouth off, or if you had something in your mouth, it's like sticking out your tongue, you're spitting it out, you're getting rid of it. So it's like getting rid of what might be bad getting in there and preventing anything else bad from getting inside. What do we find things gross or why do we find things gross? So actually, we're not born thinking anything is gross. We're actually born thinking things taste bitter and horrible, and we want to spit that out. And that rejection of bitter taste and actually the face that you make when you're tasting something bitter is the same face that you make if I say, go stand on an earthworm with your bare foot or to hold your neighbor's dirty dentures or something disgusting like that. So the emotion of disgust is actually something that we've learned through our experience, through our culture, through socialization, and it maps on to things that we want to reject and spit out like bitter taste. But it's actually what I like to say is the instinct that has to be learned. Why aren't we born like just knowing that these things are bad for us and being disgusted? because we don't know what we're going to encounter as a function of the ecology and the environment that we grow up in, what might be bad for us. And this is based on the fact that humans are what are known as generalists. That means that as a species, we can inhabit any place on Earth. We could potentially eat, you know, things from the sea, things from trees, things from the land, and so forth. This is in contrast to species that are what are called specialists, and they only have a very specific little environment they live in and only really specific food. So like the panda bear, for example, and only eating bamboo. That would be an example of um, really restricted environment. So because anything could be good or bad for us, depending upon where we grow up, we need to learn it. But we learn it really quickly. So it only takes one child to know that that mushroom was not something good to eat. And something with that smell or that looks like that is really yucky. Why is green the color of gross things in, like, cartoons? 
Well, probably because snot is green, <laughs> and so cartoons are kind of capitalizing on the aversion we have to bodily fluids. But there's nothing inherently gross about green. Lots of really delicious vegetables are green. Your grass is green. That's really pretty. You know, we can think about green in lots of positive ways as well. Oh. So, do you think green is gross? I actually don't think that green is gross. But now that I think about it. I now do think that green is gross. <laughs> the way you described it, because I never thought of it like it's not. You could say that is green, and people think that's not disgusting. And I never thought of that that way. Well, you know what else is really interesting? You just said something brilliant because it's the way we think about something that makes it gross or not. So we can be thinking about something in a totally benign way or even a positive way, and if you make yourself think of it in a disgusting way, you'll be totally turned off. Here's a question that we got from a couple of listeners. Hi, this is Audrey from Saint Petersburg, Florida. Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I'm Kira. My question is, why do smells offend us? And our question is, why do something smell good to us and something smell bad? So that's probably my favorite question of all because my primary area of research is the sense of smell, and things smell good or bad to us because of the meaning that we've learned to them. So if you smell something and you really love it, that's because the meaning of it is really good to you. And if you smell something that you think is really disgusting, it's the meaning that you've learned to it. But let me give you an example of something else. It's also how we encounter that thing that makes a really big difference. When I was a kid, I think I was probably about five years old, and I was in the back seat of the car, and it was a beautiful summer day. Windows rolled down, driving through the countryside, and all of a sudden there was a smell in the in the air. And my mom from this front seat said, "Oh, I love that smell," and so I love my mom. And I didn't know what that smell was, and so I thought, "Oh, you know." Beautiful day, mommy loves it. I love mommy. I love that smell. And it wasn't until a couple of years later when that smell was there, and I said, "Oh, I love that smell." And I was on the playground, and kids were like, "Ooh, that's so gross. You're so gross. That skunk. You know, how can you like that smell?" So I learned that was not something to admit to a lot of people. But the, <laughs> I have since encountered many people who admit to me that they like the smell of skunk. When it comes to gross, none of our senses can escape, even hearing. Isa, are your ears ready for some grossness? Yes, maybe. I don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. We'll see. It depends on how gross it is. Yeah, good point. <laughs> well, let's see. It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, <laughs> very good use of the sound. I don't know what it is, but it so, sounds disgusting. Yeah. So, on a scale of one to ten, how gross was that sound? 110. <laughs> it's a pretty gross sound. So sorry to everybody. So what do you think that that sound was? What is your guess? Okay. So it sounds like somebody squishing slime, but then I hear somebody like eating something. So I'm not too sure. Stick around. We will reveal the disgusting answer a little later in the show. 
are so excited to share with you that we wrote a book. It's called It's Alive, From Neurons and Narwhals to the Fungus Among Us. It's all about the amazing living things on this planet, from giant blue whales to teeny tiny bacteria and everything in between. There are matchups, comics, mystery photos, and even a feature called The Moment of You, where we share our favorite gross facts we found while writing the book. It comes out September 8th, but you can pre-order it right now. Just head to brainson.org to find the link. Or if you order from our very own local Minneapolis bookshop, Majors and Quinn, you'll get a bonus Brains On bookmark while supplies last. There's a weird brain on it, and it's super cute. To get it, go to majorsandquinn.com. That's all one word, Majors, M-A-G-E-R-S, and Quinn with two N's. They're also hosting a live virtual event where you can hang out with me, Sandin, and Mark. That's on September 9th. We'll also be live with a virtual event through Blue Willow Bookshop in Houston on September 12th and another virtual event with Once Upon a Time in Southern California on September 26th. Go to brainson.org to find out more about those events. See you there. You can also go to brainson.org slash contact to submit mystery sounds, drawings, high fives, and questions. That's what Olivia did. Hi, this is Olivia from Utah. My question is, why do worms come out when it rains? We'll answer that question and check out the newest members of the Brains Honor Roll at the end of the show. Keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Sitka Seafood Market. Seafood is a great source of long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, which can support heart health. Salmon is one of my favorite foods, and so it's so delightful when a box of amazing quality, beautiful salmon arrives at my door. Sitka Seafood Market sources from small boat fishermen and community-based processors that take great care to provide the highest quality seafood that is wild-caught, sustainably, and ethically harvested. And one of the best parts is Sitka Seafood Market offers a variety of flexible subscriptions that can come monthly or every other month. It's super convenient, so if you're going on vacation, you can pause or you can cancel anytime. I know you'll love it as much as I do. Go to SitkaSeafoodMarket.com and use code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com, promo code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.
You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Issa Camargo. And I'm Molly Bloom. This episode is disgusting, but in a good way. Right. We're thinking about all the things that gross us out and why. Issa, if you were programming a robot and you needed to teach it all about the world, how would you describe the concept of gross to the robot? So I would probably tell the robot um, that gross means to like be really disgusted out and to like it could it could make you gag, it could make you plug your nose, it can make you do all sorts of stuff. Very good answer. Well, our listeners have a few ideas of how to explain gross to a robot too. Well, I don't like the smell of popcorn. Gross is something that people think is weird and they don't like to be around it or touch it. Like slime and stuff. Things that are slimy like boogers. Well, some people think snakes are gross. I would describe like when you throw up. Gross is something that makes you go bleh. It gives me a shiver down my back. Thanks to Theo and Alex from Woodbury, Minnesota, Leo from Portland, Oregon, Reese from Minneapolis, Lucy from Fairfax, Virginia, and Donovan from Orlando, Florida for those truly gross descriptions. A lot of what we might think is gross is learned. We're not born thinking it's gross. Remember our pal Rachel Hurst, the one who wrote the book about gross things? Let's bring her back to answer a couple more gross questions. Here's one from Taro. Why do people think that rats are gross, scary, and dirty animals? Okay, well, the idea about rats being gross and dirty, you know, that comes from also understanding the concepts of contamination. And so we've had this idea because we believe in the fact that, for example, rats can carry disease, that therefore they're disgusting. But there's nothing inherently bad about a rat. I mean, you can have a rat for a pet and it can be perfectly clean. And the thing with animals is that they could carry a variety of different kinds of parasites or other kinds of microorganisms that could be dangerous to us. But we don't necessarily know that just by looking at them. And so, you know, maybe your dog or your cat actually has something that you shouldn't have too much contact with, but you're totally okay with them licking your face because you love your dog or your cat. So we we have to think about the way we're thinking about the animal and then question, is there something good or bad about what they're maybe bringing to us? Are there things that people used to think were gross but don't mind now? Yes, that's a great question. And food is another really good example of that. So for example, lobster, most people today think about lobster as being a luxury dinner. Like it's really expensive. Often it's only available at certain times of the year. But go back a couple of hundred years, it was considered totally garbage food that nobody else wanted to eat. And so just the fact that time has changed and our, along with it, our perceptions about what is good to eat. I love lobster. <laughs> okay, lobsters. Okay, everybody, it's, it's time. Let's get this meeting started. Let's get it going. So we should say who's here. I think you all know me. I am Lenny Lobster, of course, head of marketing. Uh, Lily. Thanks, Lenny. Hi, Lily Lobster, deputy of public relations. Oh, hi. I guess I'm next. Uh, hi, I'm Lucy Lobster, creative director. Hey, Lucy. All right. And I know we have some lobsters on the phone. Who's on the phone with us? It's just Rock from the Mid-Atlantic office. Hi, everyone. Rock. Hi, Rock. Okay, so today is the kickoff meeting for our big advertising initiative, Back to Bugs, colon, an anti-popularity campaign. So stoked! Finally! I'm so excited! So excited! Now, I put together a quick PowerPoint just so we're all on the same page here. Okay, here we go. 
lobsters. Currently, we are the symbol of luxury. Is that you in the photo, Lenny? Good eye, Lucy. Yeah, that's me on vacation last summer. Anyway, humans, they want a fancy dinner. They think lobster. But if it's a fancy dinner, why are they wearing bibs? I mean, really? Humans are so strange. So true. Okay, okay. But it wasn't always this way. When Europeans first came to North America, they saw us on the beaches and thought we were vermin. Cockroaches of the sea. Correct. We were the opposite of stylish back then. We were very cheap, and fancy people thought we were gross. Those were the days. In fact, servants demanded a clause in their contracts that said they could only be fed lobster three times a week. This is what we're trying to go back to, lobsters. This is what we're trying to recapture. We were happy being disgusting. But then the people who ran the railroads realized they could pull a fast one on the customers who didn't live in the Northeast. They didn't know lobsters were gross. So the railroad companies could present us as trendy and exotic, a real delicacy. Now that's some good marketing. Don't I know it. And once people were told that lobsters were awesome, they thought we were delicious. When people came to the Northeast from other parts of the country, they were seeking out lobster. Our popularity led to overfishing, and then our prices rose. And so we became a sign of luxury. (sighs) So, today, we are spitballing. How do we get back to that image? Cockroach of the sea. How do we change the perception of eaters everywhere? Love leaning into that bug idea. Bugs are our relatives. How about something with a family tree? Ooh, I like where you're going, Lucy. I like it. Maybe a viral campaign where we get celebrities to tweet bad stuff about us. Eh? Or maybe a viral campaign where we just make everybody sick. Like actual viruses? Yeah. Well, let's put a pin on that one for now. Let's think about that one. Okay. Well, our time is almost up and it looks like, yes, someone is waiting for this conference room. I'll tell you what, though. I cannot wait to hear what you and your teams come up with. Back to bugs. Come on, crustaceans. We can do it. Hello? Hey, anybody still in the room? Okay, then. Lobster are really not that different than insects. So... Would you eat, you think, crickets or cicadas or worms? Have you ever tried those? I've never tried them, and I probably never will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, eating bugs is a lot more common than you might think. And that brings us to this question. Hi, this is Laura from Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. My question is, why do some foods taste gross to some people and yummy to other people? Like Rachel said earlier, the only thing we naturally find gross when we're babies are bitter things. Everything else is taught. So if the idea of eating bugs is gross to you, that's what you've been taught. I'm Salejo. I am a food and culture writer, and I'm one of the co-writers of Meal. My name is Blue Delaquani. I'm an illustrator and comic artist, and I am the other co-writer of Meal. 
Meal is about a girl who is trying to get a job at a cool new restaurant that specializes in making meals out of bugs. Outside of the U.S., there are more restaurants that serve insects all the time. You know, here it's still kind of a novelty, but in the rest of the world, like in Mexico, where I lived for a while, there are restaurants that just happen to have giant ants on their tostadas or crickets on their guacamole, and that was just a normal thing. In a lot of places in Africa and Asia and Central America and South America, they eat insects a lot. It's like going fishing. It's like something that you can go out and collect for fun with your family or your friends. It's like if you go to a pick-your-own-strawberry orchard, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you eat a larva, there's a lot less to deal with. There's not, like, legs or hard parts. It's just a soft, delicious, like, gummy... Squishy. Yeah. (laughs) It's an easy package to eat. But a more mature insect, like the grown-up water beetle, you know, there's a lot of hard material that you can't really eat. So, you know, you just take off the stuff that you can't eat. In the insect's case, it's the outside part, the shell, and you just eat the sort of fillet of the water beetle. Mealworms are a flavor that I think are easy to compare to flavors that people have had before. I find them to be kind of like nutty, a little little proteiny, uh, and it's really easy to mix with stuff like I make it in curry, which is really tasty, and they're very easy to raise and grow on your own. We already eat uh, insects in things like there's a there's an insect called cochineal and they um, have been harvested for many, many, many years uh, because they're a great source of a red dye that's safe to eat. It makes red stuff redder like clothes or like lipstick. But you also see it in, you know, things like red desserts, like red velvet cake or certain drinks or, you know, jams and jellies. So we already do kind of eat bugs in like regular foods and snack foods too. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see where that goes with bugs that are less squished and more easy to recognize. <laughs> if you're afraid of a food that someone's offering you, the best thing to do would be to ask them why they like it. And hearing about that will help you be less scared. Fortunately, the insects I like to eat are different than the insects I like to study. My name is Eric Middleton. I'm an entomology graduate student at the University of Minnesota, and I study bees and other beneficial insects and how they could be useful for agriculture. Um, One of my favorite insects to eat, and one that's very commonly eaten throughout the world, are crickets and grasshoppers. I think they have a good flavor. Um, They're nice and crunchy, kind of like chips. Um, I've also eaten tempura fried tarantula spiders, uh, and that was probably my most interesting experience in entomophagy. So I've always thought that Eating insects just sounded like kind of a fun, interesting idea. My research involves looking at how we can use insects to better produce food. And so also a little pet interest of mine is, you know, could we just eat insects? I think the rest of the world is onto a really great idea. (laughs) And I thought it'd be fun to try to experiment with that and play around with it a little bit myself. Early on, um, I heard about this and my dad and I went out into our garden. We had lots of grasshoppers at that time. We thought, you know what? Uh, We know other people eat insects. We know that grasshoppers are something they eat. Maybe we should give it a shot. Well, insects, while they are food, um, you have to cook them well. Otherwise, you know, just like anything else, you can ruin them. And unfortunately, that first time, we didn't cook them particularly well. Um, We froze them. We pulled off all the legs and wings because those aren't quite as tasty. Uh, And then we ended up boiling them. And like shrimp, if you boil them, they actually turn red. Um, 
And honestly, we should have taken them out at that point and eaten them like that, but then we additionally fried them um, with a little bit of batter, and unfortunately, that overcooked them a bit. So they lost most of their flavor, they're just kind of crunchy, um, but since then, they've had a bit more success on successfully cooking insects. I do think eating insects will catch on more, uh, in large part because producing things like beef and other meats that we eat takes lots and lots of resources, lots of land and water, and producing insects takes a lot less. So this is the kind of thing that if we're worried about feeding a growing population, uh, eating insects is a very viable way to go. Eric also competed on the show American Ninja Warrior. Yes, he beat the warped wall. And he told me he was inspired by insects. I would always think, wow, these are such amazing athletes. Look at this ant carrying something above its head and running along for what would be the equivalent of miles and miles. So insects were also a great inspiration for me to say, you know what, I want to leap like a flea. I want to soar like a dragonfly when I'm going through these different obstacles. So, Isa... We're going to go back to grossing out our ears. I'm oh, going to no. play the mystery sound one more time. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Okay. Here I it can is. Do this. Here we go. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> that part is the worst. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't do it again. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. I was cringing through that whole entire oh, mystery stuff. It's rough. Okay. <sighs> gross. All right. Oh, so God. I think we should probably make our gross sound once for old time's sake. Let's make it one, two, three. <laughs> Sorry, I went a little overboard. <laughs> the gross sound is almost like equally gross. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, Isa. Any new guesses about that disgusting sound? Okay, it still sounds like somebody squishing slime. Okay, that's an excellent um, guess. But it also, it also sort of sounds like a dog, like a mm. dog slobbering. Yes, I kind of thought there was like a dog sounding sound in there as well. It also sounds like somebody eating, so I'm not too sure what to say. Eating, squishing, dogs, or something going on there. You ready for the answer? A dog eating <laughs> squishy slime. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here's the answer. The sound you just heard was a tomato being eaten very, very aggressively. My name's Matt Davies, and I'm a Foley artist. Isa, do you know what a Foley artist is? Nope. Well, a Foley artist. <laughs> but that makes a lot more sense now. Yes. So you were very close. There, <laughs> there was something being eaten and squished. Well, a Foley artist mm -hmm. makes sound effects for movies, and they add everything from simple sounds like footsteps and doors closing to fantastical sounds like lasers or monsters. And Matt often uses everyday things to make really gross sounds. Some examples of where I would use a tomato would be if I need to do a really disgusting zombie bite. <laughs> or a really slimy creature that's maybe got a really big mouth. All of that liquid inside is moving around as you're squeezing it and as they're all squirting out. So it's acting like a really big zit almost. Another sound I really like that's also a classic is celery. And I might use this sound for more of the kind of gross noises that can happen with things like bone breaking, 
um, or something like a creature that's really rickety and is very spindly. So a lot of the time, gross sounds that you might hear aren't actually that gross in real life, and we might experience them all the time. So one of my favorite props of all time is just simply a rag. Um, a rag soaked in water and then wrung out a little bit, or kind of just damp, maybe it's dripping a little bit, can create a really slimy, nasty sound. It doesn't actually seem that gross, but if you just take the sound by itself and you apply it to a really gross, slithering creature with tentacles, and then all of a sudden, all you're seeing and hearing is just this gross creature. So the subjectivity of the gooey, messy sound has really transformed because of the visual that you're watching. One of the things I love to do the most is just simply picking up objects and making them make a sound and then just hold them up to my ear. And often that's when I discover things. So it might be making breakfast in the morning and I'm waiting for the toast to go and I have a mug that I need to wash and the squeaky sound of the sponge hitting the side of the mug might give me an idea. Maybe it sounds like a frog ribbiting or something like that. And just being curious all the time about actively listening to things that are around you can give you these amazing ideas. And even if you don't use them for anything, you'll get enjoyment out of them and you can share them with people. We naturally want to protect our bodies from disease and illness. And a lot of what we find gross comes from that idea. But what's gross can depend on the culture you grow up in. One person's blech is another person's yum. And things change. What we think is blech now might not be so blech as our perceptions change. Getting over what we think is gross might actually benefit us in the future. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. We had production help from Lauren D. and Emily Bright. Michael Osborne and Bill Johnson engineered the show. Special thanks to Jill Ferris, Cecile Sarabian, Tracy Mumford, Eric Ringham, Marianne Combs, and Hans Buto. Brains On is a nonprofit public radio production. We rely on listener support to keep making new episodes. Listeners like you support Brains On today at brainson.org slash donate. In addition to the warm fuzzies of supporting the show, we also have some cool thank you gifts to choose from. Thanks. And before we go, it's time for the moment of, um... Hi, this is Olivia from Utah. My question is, why do worms come out when it rains? My name is Kyung Si Yu. I'm a professor at the Department of Soil, Water and Climate at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Now, we might think that persons are afraid of being drowned in water, and that's why they come out. But truth is that ursums, uh, they don't really get drowned in water. They can breathe in the oxygen in the water through their skins. But some of the ursums, they don't really do well when the water in soil run out of oxygen. So after the rainfall and the water fills the soil pores, and ursums begin to breathe in the oxygen in the water, and once this oxygen depletes, then ursums are nearing being suffocated, so they need to come out. There are about 3,000 known ursum species. Some of them don't really care, so they can be happy after the rainfall and they never come out. So there are many other ideas why ursums come out after the rain 
and the one is that when it rains hard, then it makes sound. It also makes vibration in the soils, so that make earthworms feel that they are being chased by their predators. For example, moles. The earthworms, when they feel they are being chased by moles, they come out. We are free to be wrong, but it's good to have a guess that you can actually prove wrong or prove correct. It's always raining here at Brains on Headquarters. Raining with awesome questions, mystery sounds, and drawings. That is, we like to give a shout out to all the curiosity seekers that fill our digital and physical mailboxes with amazement. Here are the newest additions to the Brains Honor Roll. Michaela and Ella from upstate New York, Ivan and Ilian from Los Angeles, Roman and Maya from Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, Louisa from Chicago, Scarlett from Truman, Arkansas, Max from Zhuhai, China, Tristan from Wyoming, Minnesota, Jack from New York, New York, Clark from Dallas, Texas, Grace from Kirkland, Washington, Eliana from Valparaiso, Indiana, Rowan from Corvallis, Oregon, L from Houston, Texas, Joy from Memphis, Tennessee, Mel and Ian from Perth, Australia, Megumi from Misawa, Japan, Hazel from Newton, Massachusetts, Aria from Downington, Pennsylvania, Aiden, Brenna, and Nolan from New Hampshire, Wesley and Devin from Los Angeles, Ender from Howell, Michigan, Jack from Orange, California, Lissa from Yokohama, Japan, Anna from Pittsburgh, Tobias and Mattia from Bloomington, Ontario, Jackson from Sherman Oaks, California, Emma from Bad Homburg, Germany, Kira from Potomac Shores, Virginia, Aloysius from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Harrison from Fargo, North Dakota, Paul from Peabody, Massachusetts, B from Granger, Indiana, Esther from London, England, Elise from Sydney, Australia, Sawyer from Los Angeles, Finn and Juno from Southern Pines, North Carolina, George and Lizzie from Irvington, New York, Mayano and Hugh from Toronto, Kavia from Atlanta, Kethry from Minneapolis, Elise and Audra from Lexington, Kentucky, Joby from Glenville, West Virginia, Ryan from Melbourne, Australia, Arissa and Sufea from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Benjamin and Julia from Concord, California, Matilda and Oscar from Easton, Connecticut, Moira from Virginia, Adam and Evan from Milwaukee, Sarah from Henderson, Nevada, Jane from Woodstock, Illinois, Chloe from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Bayless from Kalispell, Montana, Juju from Los Angeles, Lily from from Valley Heights, Australia, Valentine and Felix from Austin, Texas, Wit from Annapolis, Maryland, Jory from Eastvale, California, Ben from Brookfield, Illinois, and Isabel from Adrian, Michigan. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.